I wonder if you have a favorite superhero or did you have one growing up? Some of you, for perhaps it was Spider-Man. What was his real name? Peter Parker. Peter Parker. Yes, they all uh, kind of had an alter ego. Peter Parker and he had speed, agility and the ability to climb walls and shoot a web. Then there was Batman who was... Oh, yous are good. Um, he had uh, intellect, weapons, Robin, and a Batmobile. Uh, Wonder Woman, I was going to say for the women, but actually most of the men probably <laughs> preferred Wonder Woman than the men. Let's be honest. What was her name? That's a bit more tricky. Lindsay Wagner. Lindsay Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> Guess who had a poster in his bedroom wall, eh? <laughs> eh? What's her real name? What was her, what was her alter ego? Diana Prince. Yes, Diana Prince. What about the Hulk? Bruce. Yeah. If I was wearing a green shirt today, it would throw some of you off. But my favorite and the one who endured through my childhood was Superman, which was, it was always kind of bizarre because I, I, I could never figure out how glasses could make such a difference. You know, like that, that just by wearing glasses or not wearing glasses, people had no idea who he was. And uh, he originated from the planet Krypton, was sent to Earth, was adopted by a small, or by a couple in a small town called Smallville, which became a series in itself. He moves to the metrop- or to Metropolis and works as a journalist in the Daily Planet, falls for Lois Lane. Um, his arch enemy was Lex Luthor, and he's generally regarded as the greatest superhero of all time. The, f- uh, the phrase was, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman. I remember going to the old Ive cinema. I remember that, huh? Yeah, in Bambridge. Yeah. Remember when you used, like, you used to be able to smoke in the cinema? Like, how bizarre. Like, you know, and then at the end of the night, what did you do? Stood for the national anthem. Very politically correct these days, isn't it? Like, like I remember going to see Superman movies in the Ive Cinema in Ban Bridge, The Man of Steel. I, I, I was reading about him. He first appeared in 1938, which uh, the, the historians and people who uh, read anything will know. That was around the start of the First World War. Actually, that's when Superman first appeared. And he, he fought for good against bullies and oppressors. And even in some of the comics at the time, he took on Nazis. He was kind of the symbol of good versus evil. He was this person that we wanted the allies to identify with. And people left back, ha- back behind while their loved ones were fighting the Nazis. We wanted them to see that good ultimately triumphed over evil. <clears throat> And uh, he had no flaws and no weaknesses at the start. But after the war, as time went on, they began to think, this is a bit boring, actually, uh, to have somebody who has no weaknesses and no flaws and no faults. And so that's when they invented kryptonite. That this, this green crystalline substance that fell from planet Krypton was the one thing that could weaken him. It was the one thing that could sap his strength. It was the one thing that could neutralize him and make him vulnerable. And, and, and we all have a kryptonite. It's actually become a term in some places. That thing that you can't resist, that's your kryptonite. That person, she's my kryptonite. You know, that, that, that habit, that thing that, that, that drains you, or that, that, you are, um, that, that your strength is sapped by, is, is, is your kryptonite. 
And uh, we all have a kryptonite. We all have a particular area of vulnerability. We all have a part of our lives where we feel weak. We can be strong in so many places. And yet we all have that one weak spot. That one spot that we just can't seem to uh, overcome a certain thing. Or where the enemy just seems to have a foothold. And how does this relate to David and Goliath? Well, I think in in two ways that I saw. There was this whole Philistine army. and, And they were all a problem. But there was one big problem called Goliath. He was the kryptonite. And in our own lives, we have lots of problems. We have lots of things. We have lots of struggles. We have lots of battles. But most of us have that one big thing. Most of us have that one Goliath, that one giant, that no matter how hard we try, he seems to keep coming back. Like Goliath, day after day for 40 days, he keeps coming back. And in our own case, it might go away for a while. We may think we've overcome it. It may be an addiction. It may be a habit. It may be lust. It may be anger. It may be shopping. It may be gossip. It may be your language, lies, money, overeating. It could be something, and you think you've got control of it. And then... The kryptonite comes back and you're weak and vulnerable. But the other application I was thinking of with David and Goliath was this. That that Goliath looked impenetrable. He looked like you couldn't get at him. Um, (laughs) He looked invulnerable, impenetrable. Got it. Yeah. My wife's a speech therapist. Would you believe it? Um, He looked superhuman. He was like a human weapon of mass destruction. He was the mass of brass. He he looked completely unbeatable. And yet he had one small area of weakness. And it was about this size by about this size. And we're going to see that it was that exposing that one small area of weakness that brought him down. We have been journeying through this story. David is sent out by his father to his brothers with cheese and bread. He gets to the battlefield. He hears Goliath's taunts for 40 days and 40 nights. And he asks, why is anybody not doing anything about this? Do you ever walk into something, a situation that you know is obviously wrong and everybody's just tolerating it? Everybody's just accepting it? Everybody's just seeming as if this is normal? And immediately you're going, this isn't right. I have a friend who went to work in New Zealand for a year as a, as a doctor and he went to work in a ward and immediately he noticed that there was corruption, there were lies, there was all sorts of underhand stuff going on. But they were part of a system where it was all accepted and nobody said anything until he arrived. And he became, he, he would say himself, he became the whistleblower. But as soon as he spoke up, others started to speak up. And eventually, actually, the whole atmosphere and the whole culture of that hospital began to change. Because one person walked in and said, this is not the way this is supposed to be. And I wonder, are you in any environments where everybody has just accepted a negative culture or a gossiping culture or a culture of backbiting or a culture of whatever it is where you fiddle the books or, where you, or a culture of lust or a culture of whatever it is and, and, and you've accepted it, but actually God said to you, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I have put you in that place, I've put you in that situation or that location to make a difference. And David walks in and he says, this isn't right. 
These guys worship false gods. These guys are taunting our God. And I can't believe that all you guys are standing and taking it. You're not just taking it, you're shaking it. Like you're, you're running away. Like you're dressed for battle, but you're doing nothing. You're coming on and looking like the part, but you're not doing anything. You're unbelieving believers. You say you follow Yahweh, and yet up until this point, Yahweh has played no part in the equation whatsoever. And David says, I'll take him on. And his brother says, you can't. And Saul says, you can't. And David says, you know what? I can't, but with God, I can. Because I fought the lion and I fought the bear. And this guy isn't much bigger. And the God who gave me victory against the lion and the bear will help me take down this uncircumcised Philistine. And he reaches back into the past Back into his victories in the past, because victories are transferable. And he says, I'm going to pull those victories from the past into the present, and they're going to give me faith to fight the future. And so he steps up. And so he starts moving towards Goliath. He starts walking towards him. And Goliath starts to smack talk him. Goliath starts to taunt him. Goliath starts to shout abuse at him and demean him. Goliath almost insulted, like, you're sending me this wee lad. After 40 days, you're sending me this wee lad. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick off his flesh and feed it to the birds of the air and the animals. And he's taunting because that's what the enemy does. His greatest weapon is intimidation. He whispers in your ear. He doesn't shout. He whispers, you're not good enough. You're never going to make it. Look how dirty you are. Look at what you were looking at last night. God could never use you. You're so ugly. You'll never get a job. You'll never meet someone. And he taunts us and he taunts us and he wears us down. But what did David do? David came back with the word of God. David, instead of listening to the lies of the enemy, he decreed and declared who his God was. And we saw that last week. He defeated lies with truth. And that's what we need to do. We need to be so saturated, so filled with this book that everything the enemy throws at us, we've got a counterattack. We have got something that we can come back at because he will say you're no good. He will say that you're rubbish and you will say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You will say I am more than a conqueror through Christ. You can say that, that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But we can't do that if we don't know it. When you're in the battle, it's too late to take up the sword. You need to have the sword prepared before you go into the battle. And so we need to be people who daily fill our minds with the word of God. And what I said last week, and I love this, is that even before he fought him, David declared what he was going to do. It was like God had spoken in his heart. And David said, I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to cut off your head. And that could have sounded just like pride or bravado, but actually he was declaring by faith what God had spoken to his heart. And I said, and this is where I finished last week, that there's times that we need to speak out what God has spoken to us. That we need to speak it out even when we don't see it until what we see falls into line with what God has said. Now this isn't word of faith. This isn't name it and claim it. This isn't blab it and grab it. This isn't confess it and possess it. This is where God has given you a word. He has spoken to your heart. You know it and you're knower and you need to speak it out of your mouth and confess it until you see it. You need to write it down morning and evening. You need to speak it out and that will come to pass because the Bible says no word from God returns void. And so The word of God 
A prophetic declaration has the power to move mountains, knock down giants, and take hold of the blood-bought promises that are yours as a child of God. And so we get to verses 48 and 49. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into the bag and taking a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Everybody else when Goliath came out ran that way. David when Goliath comes out runs that way. He runs towards the giant. He runs towards the problem. He runs towards the obstacle. He runs towards the fear. And you know what I've discovered? Fear never goes away by doing nothing. Fear never goes away by thinking about the thing. If there's something in your life that's causing you trouble, making you anxious, making you worried, what does thinking about it do? It just makes it worse, doesn't it? Have you ever had that small thing in the morning? That one little niggle, and then you dwell on it all day, and by the end of the day, it's become this huge thing. But if you'd just have made a phone call in the morning, if you'd have taken care of it, if you'd have done some action in the morning, it would have been gone. That conversation you need to have with somebody, you put it off and put it off because it's uncomfortable, and then it becomes this huge thing where actually a text message or a phone call two days ago would have sorted it all out. You see, fear doesn't go away when you ignore it. Fear doesn't go away when you run from it. Fear goes away when you move towards it. Because fear is a liar and it's running out of breath, to quote a Hillsong song. It, it is a, fear is a mist. It, it, it appears real, but once you walk through it, you realize actually it's not. It's just fear. David in Psalm 23 said this, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a shadow. It's not real. He's in a valley here. He's in the valley of the shadow of death. But he realizes that his fear isn't real. It's just a shadow. It looks real. It looks visible. But it's just a shadow. And so he runs towards the thing that most people run towards, run away from. And I wonder, is there something in your life today that you're running away from that you need to run run towards? That you need to move towards? The thing that, that most of what God is calling us to most of what God wants us to move to. The next thing God has for us is normally at the other side of our greatest fear. If God isn't asking you to do something that terrifies you, it's probably not God. Because the most consistent thing God says in the Bible is, fear not. (laughs) They say it's 365 times or 366. I'm not sure that's true. It sounds nice. I'm not sure if it's true. But he says it a lot. Why? Because anytime God shows up, people are terrified. He asks people to do something that they don't want to do. And most of what God wants to do in your life will cause you to be afraid. But we get comfortable. I like comfort. I have a recliner chair in my study at home. And I have two recliners now. I have one in my outside office and one in my, my inside. I have two man caves. That's another story. Um, I like my space. But, uh, but I like comfort. 
I like lying back. You know, when I'm, I was preparing this this morning, or reading over it this morning, I was lying back on my recliner. I like comfort. And, and we, 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 we avoid discomfort and pain, and we move towards pleasure and comfort. That is our natural inclination. That is what we've been genetically predisposed to do. And yet God is the God who always moves us out of our comfort zone. He says, cross to the other side. He says, walk on water. He says, go and heal. Go and proclaim the gospel. People will reject you. People will revile you. But I don't care because that is your calling. He runs towards the giant. Everyone else was playing defensive. David plays offensive. Everyone else was playing not to lose. David was playing to win. And much of the church for the last 2,000 years has been playing defensive. It's batting down the hatches. Let's not draw attention to ourselves. Let's just hide behind the walls of the church until Jesus comes back, until the rapture happens, and then we'll be all right. And the church was never called to play defensive. We're called to go out. We're called to be offensive. Not to be offensive in like the way some of you are, but to be... Uh, I'm not looking at anyone... Um, I look at myself, I'm offensive. Um, But to to press out, to take territory, to advance. The kingdom of God is advancing. It's not retreating, it's advancing. And we are a people who are called to advance with our king. The spirit doesn't lead us to retreat and safety and comfort and convenience. He leads us to danger. He leads us to discomfort. He leads us to places that we would rather not go. But that's where the gold is. That's where the victories are. That's where we overcome the giants. Church, we need to play to win. We need to stop thinking small. And that's something that I have noticed more and more in the church here If America do it too much the other way, we do it too much the small way. We want small. We love small. We think small is great. In America, it's big everything. Mega, mega, mega. We're like, keep it small. Keep it small. You know what? I've had some criticisms recently about this church getting bigger. Loosely are connected around that. And that's one of the reasons two weeks ago I said, this church is not for you if you want to be part of a family where everyone knows everybody's name. That's a cult. That's not welcoming to visitors. If you know everybody's name in this church, there is something wrong with this church because it means we're reaching nobody. If new people come in and they feel unwelcome, if they feel like they're the odd one out, if they feel like everybody knows each other and I don't know anybody, that's not good. That's not kingdom. That's clique. That is not the church we're building here, folks. We are building a big family where everyone is welcome and the table's bigger and there's always a seat for the new person at the table and and, and we're going to make room for more and we're going to continue to make room for more and we will try to make small environments where we can get to know each other. But this is not a place where you're meant to be comfortable. This is a place where you're meant to be challenged and convicted and changed to go out into the world and make a difference. We are not playing defensive, we're playing offensive. We are meant to reach this world for Jesus before he comes back and we won't do that with you, me and the other three. We will do that 
by being bold, courageous, and getting off our blessed assurance and getting out there into a dark, broken, hurting world where people are waking up this morning with hangovers, wondering what they did last night, and saying, is there any hope? And there just happens to be a church called Hope in their community that they will never hear about unless we go and tell them about it. Jesus won the victory. Stop living like you're defeated. Come on, it's time to take ground. And I love this. How did, how did Goliath fall? What does it say? He fell face down. <laughs> he fell face down as in worship. That was the posture of worship. He fell face down. In front of David, it was almost as if he was fallen in worship before a king. Because he was. But he wasn't a king yet. But this kid was going to be a king. And the Bible says that one day every person will fall face down. Not before David, but before the son of David, the king of kings. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's keep going. 45 to 47. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran again. This guy's been running. And stood over him. He took off the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. After he had killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. There's a few things I want you to see here. First thing is this, David set down the sling and picked up a sword. That marked a transition in his life. The sling was the thing from his past, from the pasture field. The sword was the thing from his future, from the battlefield and from being king. The sling was good enough for back there and it got him to here, but what got him to here wasn't going to get him to there. And when we go through those times of transition in our lives, there's some things we need to set down that we are used to, that we're comfortable with, that we know well, and we need to pick up new things that we're unfamiliar with. We need to pick up things that we maybe don't feel as comfortable with, as confident with, and we need to develop, and we need to grow, and we need to stretch, and we need to learn new skills. And some of us never make those transitions in life because we aren't willing to set down the sling and take up the sword. And there's some people here today that you know God is calling you to something new, to step out in faith, to start a business, to to volunteer in something, to, 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 to start something new, but you're not willing to set down the thing you've become comfortable with and pick up the new thing that you're not comfortable with. And yet you need to learn new skills. You need to grow. You need to develop. Your body never stops growing. Your body never stops changing. And neither should your mind or brain. I love learning new things, folks. I love growing. I love, in fact, I'm most alive when I learn something new. I, 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 there's something about feeling like I've got a new skill or I've learned something new that just makes me feel like, like, like I'm... Like this is what I was made for. And some of us are feeling dead and dull and boring and, and like we're spiritually dead because we're not actually changing. We're not doing anything new. We're not doing anything different. 
we're doing what we've always done. We're clinging to our sling when there's a sword there. And God has said to some of us, it's time to set down the old thing that you're comfortable and familiar with and pick up the sword. Because this is marking the transition. Because a king doesn't use a sling. A king uses a sword. That's the first thing I wanted you to see here. That was a freebie. The second thing is this. He cut off the giant's head. He didn't just knock him down. He cut off his head. Why did he do that? He didn't have to do that. You know why he did that? I think there were a few reasons. And I've been reading a lot about what different people's theories are. Some people said it was because David wanted to get ahead. Um, But uh, it was a trophy. His dad had said, bring some token back to me. Go see your brothers and bring some token back to me that they're safe and they're okay. I bet you he wasn't expecting that token. (laughs) This big brute's ugly big head. But it was a sign that the enemy had been defeated. You see, when you knock something down, it might get back up. To all the other soldiers back there, all they saw was the giant fall. They didn't know if he was dead. David was going to say to them, you have no reason to fear. Because I haven't just knocked this down. I have killed it and it's not getting back up again. And there are some things in our lives, some habits, some addictions, some proclivities, some relationships. There are some things in our lives that we knock down, but we don't cut off their head. And then we wonder why they keep getting back up again. They keep reappearing. They keep reemerging. They keep fighting back at us. And there are some things in your life that you need to actually be ruthless with. What did Jesus say? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He was saying, be ruthless. And there are some things in our lives that we don't just knock down. We need to cut the head right off them and make sure they don't get back up again. There are some relationships that we need to cut We knock it down, we walk away for a while and then one Saturday night we're lonely, 11 o'clock a text comes through and we're right back in it again. There are some things that we look at on the computer that we knock down for three months and then we're feeling weak, we're feeling lonely, we're feeling vulnerable, we're feeling tired and we start clicking and we go down this rabbit hole and we find ourselves back in a place of guilt and shame and regret and remorse. There are some relationships, if you're married, that you have with somebody else who's not your husband or wife. And you say, I'm not going going to spend time with them. I'm not going to have lunch with them anymore. I'm not going to. And then then you find yourself back, sitting with them in your car at lunchtime, having a sandwich. And it all seems harmless and innocent. But you both know there's something going on. You need to cut that off. Cut the head off. Because if you don't cut the head off the giant, it's going to get back up and it's going to destroy you. There are some things that you don't just knock down. You need to cut the head off it. The Puritans had an old saying, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I often remind myself of that. If we don't kill sin in our lives, sin will kill us. And the final bit I want you to see here is this. That David used the enemy's sword against him. And I believe for some of us, the things that the enemy has used against us, we're actually going to be able to use them. (laughs) 
the things that the enemy has, has tried to bring us down with, it's actually God's going to turn the tables. And that actually the, the, the thing that the enemy was trying to destroy you with is actually going to become your offensive weapon of victory. He tried to destroy you with depression, but you're actually going to help people get free from depression. He tried to destroy you with cancer. You're going to pray for people and they're going to be healed from cancer. He tried to destroy you through, uh, through lust or pornography and you're going to help men and women get set free from lust and pornography. The thing that the enemy used against you is the very thing that God is placing into your hands and saying I want you to destroy the enemy with cut off the giant's head the battles change through life the obstacles are different there's new challenges and we need to grow we need to adapt we need to take up new weapons for the future battles and as a church we need to do this we need to adapt to a new reality I'm conscious of time here two minutes left folks This isn't the 18th century anymore, and I know we know that in this church. Unfortunately, most of our denomination is on the cutting edge of the 19th century. The youth group starts at 65. And I would love that to be a lie, and it is funny, but it's it's funny because it's true. I have so many peers who will be standing behind pulpits this morning preaching to 12 or 10 or 8 people who within a year or two they'll be doing their funeral and that'll be that. And they're un- Why? Because they're unwilling to change. This isn't the 19th century. But can I also say something to you? This isn't 2015 either. See, it's easy to, to say this isn't 1915 or 1870, but it's also not 2015. Which is probably when this church started, am I right? I actually hadn't realized that when I wrote that date down. I hadn't, and we didn't realize that. That this church is not the church it was 2000. It's the hardest, the DNA. It's got so, much of the, so many of the committed people. But it's not the same church, folks. It's not the same church. And we need to change. And we need to adapt. And the sling was great three years ago. But the sword is what we need today. Because if we don't take up the sword, the sling will not bring us into the future. And that means different things for different, one of, different ones of us. But some of us are struggling. And I, can I say to you, I appreciate and I understand that struggle. That's human. It's natural. It's normal. Okay? I'm not judging in any way. I completely get that struggle. Particularly, and I'm going to be really vulnerable here. This one doesn't go in the podcast. So for those of you who were there at the start, I would honestly believe change has probably been hardest for you. You've loved it and you've wanted the church to grow and thrive and it's like you're, and yet it's been hard. And I get that. And I understand that. And yet we have to embrace it. Because if we're not moving forward, we're going backwards. If we're not progressing, we're going to get stagnant, we're going to get still and we're going to die. And so folks, I want to tell you that this is a church that's not going to get stuck in 2019 or 2018. It's a church that's going to keep moving forward into the good future that God has for us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As the Spirit leads, we will move. And, and not, everyone, not everyone has the capacity for that journey. I, I understand that. I hope you do. But if you don't, that's okay. But we are not going to stop. We're not going to pull back. We're not going to retreat. We're going to keep pressing in 
and moving forward and becoming the church that God created us to be. And finally, and this is a good place to finish as we come to communion, or always, Jesus is our champion. You see, we've been applying a lot of this stuff about David to our own lives, but actually, we are probably more like the rest of the Israelite army. We are feeling defeated, we're feeling terrified, we're overwhelmed and we're overcome and we need somebody to step up. And 2,000 years ago, a father sent his son to the battle line and he wasn't impressive and there was nothing about him that made him look like he was going to do anything significant. And the, the giant wasn't Goliath, the giant was sin and death and it was taunting humanity and had taunted humanity for millennia. It had taunted us and said, I own you, you will never beat me, you'll never change, you will never break this addiction and then came this unlikely champion. And Goliath, as Goliath came out every day, it says God's people shook with terror. And I wonder, have you ever shook with terror at your sins? <laughs> I know I have. There's Sometimes there's things that in my heart, sometimes there's things in my mind, sometimes there's things that come out of my mouth that make me shake with terror. There's sometimes I go, how will I overcome this? How will I beat this? I have shaken with terror at what I find in my own heart. The struggles and the temptations and the sins that seemed to never go away. Like Goliath, day after day, they're there. And I wonder, can I overcome this? And just as David ran towards Goliath with purpose and focus and mission, so Jesus ran towards the cross. It said he set his face like flint and went to Jerusalem, knowing what awaited him there. And on that cross... He defeated Satan, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he defeated hell. He defeated our ultimate enemy. And so we are no longer captive to those things. We are no longer controlled by those things. We are no longer defined by sin. We are defined by Jesus, our hero, our David, our son of David. And he didn't just knock sin down and death down. He cut the head right off it. Sin cannot be resuscitated. Sin cannot control you any longer. I am no longer defined by my sin. I am defined by the finished work of Christ. My champion, Jesus, has done for me what I could never do for myself. Your sin has been conquered and defeated. And this changes the way you live. It enables you to give a shout of victory. And that's what we read. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. The dead were strewn along the road to Gath and Ekron. When the Philistines returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. For 40 days and 40 nights, this army had been silent. And now they let out a shout. For 40 days, it had been as quiet as they could be. They didn't raise their voice. They didn't want to draw attention to themselves. But now that David has won the victory, they let out a shout. 
Why? Because one stepped onto the battlefield representing them and won the victory on their behalf. They didn't fight the victory, but they shared in the victory and they plundered the enemy. And it's time for some of us to stop being silent. This is a word God has given me this week very clearly. It's time for some of us to lift our voices again. God has silenced some of you through the past. Through guilt, through shame, through regret, through divorce, through addiction, through some of the things that you've done in the past. Your voice has been silenced and the enemy has said, you have nothing to say. Nobody wants to hear you. And I believe God is saying to you, it's time to raise your voice again. Why? Because he has conquered whatever controlled you. He has covered whatever was covering you. A number of years ago, when we were on our sabbatical, actually, after we left Dublin, day after day, I would, we, we were on the beach, in a beach house for a while, and I would walk or run, mostly walk, along the beach. And, uh, and day after day, this was my prayer. God, I want to hear your voice. God, I need to hear your voice. And one day, as clearly as God has ever spoke to me, this is what he said. Craig, I want to hear your voice. Because hurt and disappointment and exhaustion and all of those things had silenced me. And I thought I had nothing left to say. I thought I was finished. I thought I was used up. I thought I was spent. And God said to me, Craig, I want to hear your voice again. I have given you a voice and you need to use it. And something shifted that day. And God has given you a voice. And you have ruled yourself out and God is ruling you back in again. And he said, I want to hear your voice. You have been silenced by the lies of the enemy. You have been shut up by your sins and failures of the past. But it's time to let out a shout. It's time to raise your voice. It's time to lift a shout of praise. Not because of how great you are, but because he has won the victory for you. And so some of you today need to hear that. The enemy has been silenced. He has been defeated. And one day he will be destroyed. And God wants you to speak and shout and raise your voice and speak out what he has put within you. Because when you do, atmospheres will shift. Things will change. And the enemy will run. Let's pray together.